The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 15, Of Repentance Unto Life, Paragraphs 3 and 4. Although repentance be not to be rested in as any satisfaction for sin, or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ, yet is it of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. Paragraph 4. As there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. As I look back on my childhood, I realise that I grew up in a very religious place. I was born and raised in a place called East Belfast, a place where in those days, and probably still to this day, There was a church or a hall on every single corner. As a child I was sent to church with my aunt and then later I would attend Sunday school in a brethren assembly in East Belfast. Sometimes as well throughout the week I would go to a Tuesday night meeting and there were always other times as well where the gospel would be proclaimed and individuals like me would hear it. I remember vividly on many occasions determining that this time I was going to be different. I had heard about my sin, I'd heard that I needed Christ, and my response to it was not repentance and faith, but instead a determination that I will do better. This time, I will get it right. Not surprisingly, salvation never stuck with me. I had misunderstood the gospel. I'd heard it proclaimed truthfully and openly. I'd been called to repent and to believe in Christ. But instead of lifting my eyes to Jesus, I turned inward. And for me, Christianity then became about me and my works and my ability this time to do better. Maybe for that first evening, I was a better son. Maybe I was a better brother. Maybe my bedroom was a little bit tidier. But as I returned to those days in my mind, I realised that for me it was all about good works. I was going to be a Christian and to show it, I was going to do good things. Now I suspect you and I can agree that I had got it entirely wrong. But these paragraphs today point us to the trap that sometimes we can fall into that believes somehow my salvation is about my work. Perhaps my salvation is about the quality of my repentance. Last time out we heard how repentance was an evangelical grace. Repentance was worked in us by the Holy Spirit 
and true repentance unto life sees us understanding the depravity and the danger of our sin and causes us to run unto Christ. That was my problem back in the 80s. At no point did I run to Christ. I knew my sin, I knew its depravity, and I was going to be the one to fix it. But true repentance unto life lifts its eyes away from self and turns them onto Jesus. And so today's teaching in paragraph 3 tells us that our repentance is not to be rested in. Or in other words, for anyone sitting at home today, listening to this podcast and thinking, well, I must be saved because my repentance was really, really good and I really meant it that time. Well, the Westminster Divines speak and tell us that we are looking in the wrong place. Repentance is not to be rested in. It is not a satisfaction for sin, nor is it the cause of the pardon itself. We cannot today say, I am saved because I have repented. I am saved because I really meant at that time. I am saved because I do lots of different things now that I have repented. Absolutely not. The Westminster Divines take us away from that place and remove us from questions like, did I repent properly? They remove us from statements that say, perhaps next time I will really mean it. Perhaps next time my repentance will be better. Perhaps next time my repentance will meet God's requirements. Not a bit of it. Today, if we are Christians, it is because we have repented of our sins and turned in faith to Jesus. And as the Westminster Divines put it here, our salvation is the act of God's free grace in Christ. Our sins have been satisfied in Christ. The pardon that we have received has come because we have trusted in Christ, not because we have trusted in our repentance, or not because our repentance has somehow met God's standard of quality. Repentance is not to be rested in. The Lord says in Ezekiel 36, You will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. The Lord here speaks to his people and reminds them, Yes, you will loathe your sins. You will understand your depravity. You will understand your need of me. But I will not forgive you. I will not act for your sake. It is not because you have come with weeping and gnashing of teeth and a quality repentance. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. You are not saved today because you have repented. God has not pardoned you because you once felt bad in a meeting and decided this time it was going to be different. You are saved because of who God is. He has not acted because your repentance has met a magical standard. It is because he is a God of grace. It is because of his covenant. It is because of his mercy. And it is because of Christ. Our sin has been forgiven and we have been pardoned by Christ and his finished work at Calvary. As Paul writes in Romans 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And in Ephesians 1 and verse 7, Paul continues, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. If we have ever believed that salvation comes somehow in some way because of us, then we have been led astray. 
if we consider our so-called salvation today and it is Christless, then we have gone astray. Today our sins are satisfied and we are pardoned only by the grace of God in Christ and therefore our repentance is not and should not be rested in. However, with that said, repentance is utterly necessary and without it we cannot expect pardon. It is with this statement that the divines finish paragraph 3. The gospel is proclaimed and it tells us that Christ Jesus died for sinners and he was raised again on the third day for our justification. So the gospel is preached. What is our response? Our response is repentance and faith. We heard that last time out, that if the church ever ceases to proclaim repentance and faith as the necessary response to the gospel, then the church has gone astray. If we have never responded to the gospel in repentance and faith, then we cannot expect pardon. It is as simple as that. The quality of our repentance doesn't save us. Repentance itself is not how God is pleased with us. But unless we repent, then we too will perish. It is this that Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, when answering the question about the Tower of Siloam. He says in verse 4, Or those 18 on whom the Tower and Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The Lord is clear. Repentance is necessary, utterly necessary, and without it, we cannot expect pardon. And Paul in Acts 17, when preaching to the Greeks, tells them this, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Repentance has not paid the price for our sin. Repentance is not the ground on which we build our lives. Repentance is not to be rested in. Instead, we lift our eyes to Christ and we remember that it is his sacrifice that paid the complete price at Calvary. It is his blood which was shed abroad, which has paid the price for our sins. It is Jesus and Jesus alone who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Today we lift our eyes onto Jesus, our crucified and risen Saviour. And as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see him as he is revealed in the glorious gospel, we receive him by repentance and faith. Repentance is not to be rested in. But repentance is utterly necessary, and without it, we cannot expect pardon. And why is repentance necessary? Well, as we've already heard in paragraphs 1 and 2, repentance knows who we are, and it knows what Christ has done. And repentance is more than a sorry. It understands the danger of sin. It understands how filthy and odious sin is. It understands that sin is contrary to who God is. And repentance grieves for sin, hates sin, and turns to God, knowing that Christ is merciful to a repentant sinner. And repentance too sends us running in a new direction, where we purpose and endeavour to walk with Christ in all the ways of his commandments. Repentance has not paid the price for our sin. Only Christ and his precious blood has done that. 
Repentance is not the propitiation for our sins, the sacrifice that turns away God's wrath. Only Christ is our propitiation. But repentance is utterly necessary, and without it, we cannot expect pardon. So we avoid the trap today of an inward-looking and repentance-resting kind of false faith. But there are other traps that we can also fall into. For example, some may argue... For example, some may argue that they're not really that bad, that they've only sinned in some small ways. They haven't done those major things that those truly bad people have done. They've never murdered, they've never hurt children or animals, they've never really harmed a fly in this world, and therefore God will see them right. God has this giant pair of scales and he will balance out the good and bad, and of course I will go free because I am such a small sinner. If we've fallen into that trap, paragraph 4 speaks, As there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, or in other words, even the tiniest of sins deserves the wrath and punishment of God. I think it's worthwhile at this point to remind ourselves that we are not sinners because one day at age 7 we sinned for the first time. That's not how it works. As David writes in Psalm 51 and verse 4, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We don't start sinning at age 4, 5, 13, 21. We are born in sin. We are sinful because we are in Adam, and in Adam all have sinned, all have fallen. He is the federal head of the human race. So we are born in sin. No one ever teaches us how to sin. We are born as sinners. And so, because this is true, none of us can ever say, well, my sin isn't that bad. My sin surely doesn't deserve the damnation and wrath of God. We read in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 23. All sin deserves death. Sin that we consider just trivial, a little white lie here and there. And sin that we consider massive and great and worthy of God's punishment. The wages of all sin is death. Paul speaks again in Romans 5 and verse 12 about how we are in Adam, the federal head, and therefore we have sinned. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Every one of us has sinned against a holy God, whether we think it large or small, every single sin deserves God's damnation. And indeed the Lord Jesus in Matthew 12 and verse 36 tells us that on the day of judgment we will give account for every careless word we speak. For individuals today that believe my sin isn't that great, then may you please hear these words to understand that even the tiniest, the smallest of sin deserves the damnation and punishment of God. But thanks be to God, because as paragraph 4 closes, it tells us that the grace of God knows no bounds. Just as there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, write the divines, so there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent.
And so today we know and understand our depravity before a holy God, but at the same time we know and understand that a sinner who calls upon the Lord in true repentance will be saved, that there is no sin in that individual's life, great or small, that can cause them to be damned. And so today, if you are an arrogant sinner who believes that you haven't sinned that badly, or today if you are crushed by the weight of your sin and you believe, who can forgive me? There is no sin, small or great, that will keep you from salvation if you truly repent. It is, as Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If we are in Jesus, if we have received him as our saviour, then surely we are saved. The Lord will abundantly pardon the repentant. We read that in Isaiah 55 and verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And in Isaiah 1 and verse 16, we are urged to wash ourselves, to make ourselves clean, to remove the evil of our deeds before God's eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Verse 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. My friends, repentance teaches us the depravity of sinful humanity. But repentance causes us not to go inward and to rest somehow in the work of repentance, but instead it causes us to flee and to run onto Jesus. Jesus, who forgives us all sins as we repent, the sins that we consider small and the sins that we consider great. There is no condemnation for the one who has received Christ by faith. There is no damnation for the one who has turned to Christ and trusted him as he is offered up in the gospel. There is no damnation for those who truly repent. The grace of God knows no bounds, and it is by God's grace that our sins, as scarlet and as crimson as they are, are made as white as snow. This teaching today is incredibly good news. It turns our eyes away from ourselves and again to Christ. This day, this week, this Easter time, may our eyes be fixed firmly to Christ, the rock of our salvation. As always, here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. What do we mean when we say that repentance isn't a satisfaction for sin or the cause of God's pardon? Question 2. Where do we find the true satisfaction for sin and cause of God's pardon? Question 3. What is the biblical response to the gospel and what makes repentance a necessary element of this response? Question 4. Why is all sin, great or small, such a problem for us? And question 5. How would you counsel someone who doesn't believe that their sin's so bad, and also someone who is crushed by their sin and believes they cannot be forgiven? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time,
this we confess. 